Well, on September 1st, 1939, at the very beginning of World War II, it was widely reported that the Polish cavalry, with swords drawn, attacked a segment of the invading Nazi army. Historian William Shire, in The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, wrote this. He said, horses against tanks. The cavalryman's long lance against the tank's lawn cannon. Brave and valiant and foolhardy though they were, the Poles were simply overwhelmed by the German onslaught. It makes a great story. The only problem is, it doesn't usually turn out all that great for the guys on the horses. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we find a story which has become a classic down through the ages. David and Goliath. Most of you know the story. It's a story of might versus right, uh, the powerful against the seemingly weak, faith versus aggression, tall versus short, youth versus maturity, slings and stones versus swords and spears and heavy armor. Spoiler alert, the, the guy with the stones this time wins, but you probably already knew that. The reason why this story has found its way into the great stories of history is precisely because what happened hardly ever happens at all. So often it seems that the bad guys keep motoring along while the little guys who every once in a while muster enough courage to stand up against them, well, they get run over by the bus. But here in the story of David and Goliath, story one for the, score one for the underdog. So. On a purely human level, if you're looking at this story, we, we, just, we just love it. But listen, you shouldn't love it just because it satisfies our inner need to see justice done or, or, or to see the powerful brought low. You should love it because it offers a blueprint to face life's most difficult challenges, like the one you may be grappling with right now. Within this narrative, we see an essential element that we will need to face life's darkest challenges. In a word, it is courage. Here's a question. Do you think that the guys on the horseback thought that somehow they might maneuver around the heavy guns in a way to actually defeat the marauders? I doubt it. But here's the thing. They rode off anyway. So what is it? What is courage? I looked at a lot of definitions and read this story over and over. And what I came up with was this, simply stated, I think courage is doing the right thing despite any danger or consequences it might bring. Doing the right thing in spite of the danger, in spite of the consequences that it might bring. We could point to many, many examples of people both inside and outside of uh, the Holy Scriptures standing up and turning their face toward the heat of adversity, though the danger and the negative consequences were very, very real. You know, I think of the firemen running up the stairs of the World Trade Towers on 9-11, and, and some of them said to their colleagues as they geared up and got the order to finally start going up the stairs, I'm really not sure we're coming back down again. The three Jewish boys who who wouldn't bow down to the the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, though threatened with a horrible death. The disciples leading the fledgling church in Jerusalem, getting a a, a beat down because they were preaching Christ and being warned uh, that more was coming if they continued. Their response, 
we must obey God rather than men. Now, two things are always present when courage is called for. Two things, danger and possible negative consequences. David enhanced that definition a bit in verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. David seeing firsthand how the whole army and its king Saul were melting as the giant spewed his threats against them. He said this, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. He said, I'll go. And literally in the Hebrew, he was saying, let no one fall down. That's what lose heart means. Uh, let, let, let no one be thrown down on account of this guy in this situation. Why did he say that? Because this young shepherd boy knew that the key to winning any battle is the ability to remain upright, to remain standing and certainly not running away. Even if you're not taking new ground, at least to stand your ground. Now, let me make a rather clear declarative statement at this juncture. I don't think that you or I will ever grow and mature without courage. Let me add to that by saying, I don't think you or I will ever uh, do anything worthwhile in our lives if we don't have courage. Without courage, we fall back at the first sign of trouble or displeasure every single time. Now, we make excuses. We make a lot of excuses. We say things like, uh, you know, I, I, I hate disappointing people. It's almost like saying, you know, my problem is that I'm just too nice a person. That's not it. We say, oh, I, I know I should have said something. I'm just, a, I'm just a people pleaser. Well, you may be that, but what you really are is a coward. I get it. I've used that excuse any number of times in my own life when the danger and possible negative consequences were very real. See, I believe that courage in a life is so important that in the same way we teach our children to be polite. Hey, Johnny, the lady behind the counter just helped you. What do you need to say? Thank you. We need to also teach them to be courageous. We teach them to be polite. We teach them to be considerate, to, to keep you know, their, their emotions under control, to be kind. None of which comes naturally, by the way. They're all good things. All good things. What we also need to be teaching them along with those good things is courage. Susie, you graciously speak the truth as we've taught you the truth, even though people may say that you're hateful or even you're ignorant. We need to teach them how to be courageous. You know, we're always there to rescue our kids from the consequences of poor choices. Courage is often learned when we are forced to face consequences. We need to teach them. And listen, we need to learn ourselves. I mean, think, think how much damage. Just consider the literal damage that we can do when we act cowardly. By, by, by letting our worst fears and our recurring nightmares kind of rule us. You know, maybe your worst fear is that your children will not get into the prestigious school and be successful, which would mean that you were not a good parent in your mind. So you drive them towards, you know, your definition of success in the classroom or, you know, even on the ball field. 
I can't risk them not being successful. Now, listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you should not instill in your children to go for excellence in a way as doing all things to the glory of God. But but at what point, I wonder, at what point have we departed from a healthy walk to being driven by a cowardly fear of personal failure because of the perceived danger and negative consequences that it may present? I Sometimes I'm not sure exactly where the line is, but I know I when I see it's been crossed over. A lot of times I could, I've seen it. Can a child be destroyed, destroyed by a parent who's always been too afraid to deal with their own fears? Been too afraid to stand? Now, listen, it can go the other way, too. This is very prevalent. There are parents who are afraid of the danger, perhaps, as they see it, of losing their children's love. They are petrified of their children rejecting them or disapproving them, so much so that that fear makes them into people who literally cannot say no to them. Maybe worse. I don't know if it is or not, but it's both. It's up and down. One day it's this, one day it's that. You know, one day they do and the next day they don't. And, 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 and there's absolutely no discipline. And your problem becomes everybody else's problem, by the way, at family gatherings or to the teacher at school. We need to teach them how to be courageous. We need to learn ourselves. That's why this story is so important. First, if you are unfamiliar with the story, let me get you up to speed. The Israelites and the Philistines, long historic enemies in 1 Samuel 17, were at it once again. The Philistines had invaded Judah, verse 1 tells us, and all the able-bodied Israeli males had heeded the call to arms that was issued by the king who was really at that point sold the king in name only. Now remember, we talked about this last week. David had been anointed by Samuel, although Saul still held the governmental reins. Saul had forfeited, remember, his right to the throne because of his continual disobedience to God and his refusal to accept God's authority in his life. But now the two armies had dug in. And for 40 days, they were sort of just kind of staring at each other. They're staring each other down. No one was willing to attack the other for 40 days. Now, the reason, the military reason why no one was attacking the other is told to us in verse 3. Verse 3 says, the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. It was simple. Any movement down the hill into the valley in an attempt to go up the other hill to attack the enemy by either side was going to end up in suicide. It's why armies historically will expend whatever amount of hardware and even lives that they have to to secure the high ground during a battle. And for 40 consecutive days, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, a single soldier from the Philistine camp, Goliath, which is not an unfamiliar name to many of you, would shout to the Israeli army, taunting them and calling them names and just being generally mean to them. Goliath was an imposing figure. Depending on whether you are reading the Greek translation of the Old Testament or the original Hebrew, he was a man who stood somewhere between six foot, nine inches tall and nine feet. 
Now, either way you read it, either way you read it, I'm not going to go into why it's six, nine and one and nine foot in the other. He, he was taller than any other guy, any of the soldiers in either of the two armies. In addition, this really large man was also in possession of an array of offensive weapons and defensive protections. From head to toe, he had 125 pounds of armor, which covered almost every part, every exposed part of his body. He was literally the most high-tech instrument of battle on planet Earth. And as a part of his stump speech each morning and night, he would challenge a man from among the Israeli army to come and meet him on the battlefield. Now, his challenge was not uncommon in ancient days. There are stories of a single combatant from opposing warring camps being sent out to settle the matter as to avoid massive bloodshed. All throughout history, we read of a number of battles like that. Now, this very well may have been one of those winner-take-all matches, which, if true, if that were true, would mean that the outcome of the fight would have sealed the fate of one of those two nations for a generation to come. Think about that. Anyway, Goliath is roaring at them for 40 days. And Jesse, David's father, who had three sons at the front, sent David, his youngest son, to the battlefield to take some food to his three older brothers. It's not that they didn't feed the soldiers back then, but this was sort of a care package, you know, from home from an old, worried, sick father. It's really kind of sweet. So David arrives just in time for Goliath's early evening show. As they stood on their side of the divide, David heard Goliath speak. Verse 10. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. If you were to have courage, you will need to stand tall in the toughest battles of your life. And you will need to keep something in mind if that's going to happen. And that's this. On the battlefield of life, you need to tune out the wrong voices. When the army and the king heard the twice daily challenge from Goliath, all they could hear was the voice of evil saying, you have no chance. If you think you could stand against me, maybe you need to take another look. Send the man out. I will cut him in half, after which we all will destroy all of you. Your best option right now would be to surrender, and maybe we will spare your miserable lives and allow you to live in obscurity and relative peace. See, that's what they heard. Every day, twice a day, for 40 days. You know, words are powerful things. You've all heard the old adage, the pen is mightier than the sword. It means that words, written words in this case, can often do more damage to a person than someone with a weapon in their hand. Some of us bear the brutal scars of hurtful, careless words spoken to us as far away as childhood. Some of you, I know, are still in bondage to them. Sometimes the demoralizing voices can 
even come from a friend, a coworker, a family member, or even a spouse. For David specifically, there were two voices that day that threatened to derail a great victory that God wanted to bring to his people through him. The first voice was that of his own oldest brother, his own flesh and blood. It must have cut him deeply. When David heard the words of Goliath, initially that I just read, he was furious. He was so ticked off. And you know what his response was? His response was this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David, even though he was a teenager, was literally aghast at what he had heard. William Arnold points out that the ancient Near Eastern philosophy equated military strength with a nation's deity. Stronger army, stronger God. The nation with the stronger God wins the war. It was the gods who brought about the victory in battle. You see this understanding, if you read through the Old Testament, many, many times. It's a lot of Israel's um, enemies would come and say, you know, your God is no match for our God. And it, that's, that's just the way it went. So this is what David heard when Goliath is, you know, saying, you know, you know, yeah, he's screaming every day, twice a day. What he's hearing is this, when he defies the armies of, of Israel. What he's hearing is your God is weak. Your God will not rescue you. Your God is no match for Dagon. The God, the God of the Philistines. What David heard was not Goliath defying Israel's army, but challenging Israel's God. And here, here is the most galling part of all. Every single soldier understood that. But only David was appalled, especially as he watched everyone who said they serve the living God kind of just stand around silently. So David said something, and his oldest brother, Eliab, went after him with a vengeance. I don't know if it was because he was overlooked for being anointed as king. Maybe he's jealous, or maybe because his heart was just generally dark. Something that's, that Samuel, remember last week, Samuel couldn't see initially, but he became a very destructive voice, whatever the reason. He said to David, why have you come down here? You know, you know, what, what, why do you think that your voice is needed or wanted in this time of national crisis? Now, I want to ask your opinion, little brother. And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? Why don't you stick to what you know? Go back to tending your little flock of sheep far away from the fields of battle where the great debates of our time are right now being decided. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. You think you're something, but you're nothing in my eyes. Your motives of evil. You're here like this is a big show. You just want to see men die. You have nothing to offer in this battle. Go back home. You know, we live in a culture that increasingly and with greater ferocity attacks those who try to incorporate God's truth in their lives and who may even speak about it. If you are among them, what you need to understand is that their attack is not against you, but ultimately against God. 
So when you stand up for life in the womb and you are met with vicious attacks against your character and you are told that you are breaking the peace and you are an impediment towards unity and that you are, you're, uh, uh, you're an obstacle against personal freedoms and liberty, you need to know something. And that is that behind their attacks is none other than the father of lies. And yes, he hates you, but he hates the giver of truth infinitely more than any hatred he holds for you. And when you stand up at a school board meeting or at the water cooler at work and voice the biblical truth that God has created human beings, either male or female, as an expression of the imago Dei, the image and the likeness of God, you very likely will be attacked in our culture because of the utter confusion that has now been let loose in our country and in our world concerning things that are basic in understanding, like sexual identity. Things that are evident to all of us. But Paul put it very plainly in Romans 1 when he said this. He said, the world has exchanged the truth for a lie. And it will take courage to love this confused culture while refusing to join in the celebration of what is false, even by those closest to us. But be ready. The voice of David's own brother ascribed evil motives, you know, to his angst over the maligning of God's truth. His own brother. Those voices, ones like Eliab, they could be so discouraging. They could drain you. They could literally drain you of courage. But you know, it wasn't just his family. It was the king himself. When Saul heard of David's desire to be the sole warrior to go up against the best the world had to offer, you know what he said to him? Not, hey, thanks for that. He said, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young, a young man, and he's been a warrior from his youth. Don't be ridiculous. No one can go up against that enemy, let alone a boy like you. But here's the thing. The reason Saul was trying to get David I believe, to turn away from the battle that God was calling him to, to stand up for truth, was because he knew that he should have been the one engaging Goliath. He was the one with the most military experience on the field that day. He was the veteran, uh, was a veteran of many, many battles. He was the one with the armor, which by the way, he tried to get David to put on, and he finally relented and let him go without it. He was the leader. He was the biggest guy in the army. Remember what we said? That he was Saul, he was a head taller than anybody else. But because of his own failure as a follower of Yahweh and of his own failure as a leader, he tried to discourage the one man who had the courage to stand up against a direct challenge to Israel's God. You may find that when the voice of God prompts you to step up and speak to and work for the truth, that those whose consciences that have become calloused because of disobedience will be the first ones who will say to you, hey, wait, wait, wait a minute, time out. Relax. You need to take a breath. You need to look at this thing logically. Don't be crazy. You know, sometimes they say that because your courage only highlights their own cowardice. The voices we need to tune out are the ones that tell us to do something contrary to God's calling for you or for us as a people. And sometimes those voices, well, they come from our own families.
Sometimes our families can pull us down instead of supporting us in our faith. Sometimes they tell us to run away instead of encouraging us to face the battle God has called us to fight. Now listen, after you've carefully considered the truth, after you've vetted it through men and women that you consider walking with God, then you need to stand by the grace of God to gather your courage and be a voice of sanity and truth in a world and in a culture that is absolutely filled with lies. But listen to me. If you do, there will be voices, many voices that will come against you. Courage for the battle is gained when we tune out the wrong voices. In the same way, courage for the battle is gained when we tune in the right voices. You know something? If you go back in this very book of 1 Samuel, you will see that Saul, who now cowered in fear, he wasn't always like that. He, he at one point was a different kind of man. He was a courageous warrior. But something happened. What happened? Well, here's what happened. 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 14 says this. Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. If you read through the scriptures, it is astonishing how often courage displayed by people in all walks of life coincided with the arrival of the spirit of God. When the Midianites attacked, you have Gideon hiding in fear, cowering in fear, shivering in fear one moment, and then the next moment he's leading the army. What happened? Well, Judges 6.34 says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and guys came running from all over. He gathered the people for battle. A lion attacked Samson. You know, nobody's going to battle with a lion. They're running the other way. But he did. Why? Judges 6, 14, 6 says this, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. See, the same thing in the New Testament. The disciples of Jesus are cowering in fear in a rented room after the resurrection for fear of the authorities. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit shows up and they pour out into the streets and begin boldly proclaiming the gospel. A few chapters later in Acts chapter 4, they bring Peter and John before the authorities and they say, if you preach this gospel anymore, you're going to be in prison or you're going to be killed. And you know what Peter says? It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he goes on, and you know what he says? Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you guys got to do. We will not stop preaching, even if it means we go to prison, even if it means we go to our deaths. See, see, that is courage. Courage enough to change the world. So why is it that even in what is still an environment where we're still, we're still allowed to speak freely in comparison to so many other places on earth, why is it that we're still lacking courage to speak the truth? Why are we still so filled with fear? I, I, I got to assume that if God's spirit indwells the believer, that his great desire is to fill us with courage, no matter the danger, no matter the consequences. Do you remember last week what happened? 
In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, it says this. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. If David would have listened to his brothers, just imagine, if he had listened to the king, he probably would have gone home. But he didn't. He was tuning in to another voice, a voice that filled him with courage to do the right thing despite the danger or the consequences. What did the voice tell him? Well, the voice, the spirit, told him to remember. David, David, remember. When Saul's voice said, kid, impossible, David went back to times in the past when he battled against animals that should have destroyed him, but he was victorious over. He said, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine, he'll be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. See, the voice of the Spirit reminded David that the Lord had been with him in those circumstances in the past, and it filled him with confidence. Based upon God's presence with him in the past, David had a confidence and a faith that was very firmly established. The lion and bear, you know, those fights, <laughs> uh, when they happen, you know, you usually don't come out on top. But, but David won. He wants us to hear the voice that gently reminds us of God's past faithfulness instead of the, the negative voices that surround us, that try to deter us from his calling. Think about your own past. Think about how God has been with you. Think of things that he's done in your own life. I think you can recall them right now, can't you? He wants you to remember that all things, all things are possible with him. Based upon his path's faithfulness, he wants us to understand that when he calls us to stand courageously, he will empower, empower us to do it. The voice also told him to go in the strength that he had, as he was with the gifts and the talents given over to God that God had given him. He, he didn't put on Saul's suit of armor. He didn't have time to take a course on battle strategies when you're fighting a giant. Verse 40 says this, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and when his, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. David did not face Goliath as a soldier. He faced him as a shepherd because guess what? That's what he was. God wanted David to use what he already had given him and to be what he was. You'll never gain the courage to go into situations that are dangerous and filled with unknown consequences if you feel that you don't have the right equipment or words or polish or education or connections. See, God sent David out 
in the strength that he already had with the Holy Spirit of God to face that giant. The voice, spirit, told him to focus on the size of his God and not the size of his adversary. This one's really, really important. In February, when Marianne got her diagnosis, we came face to face against not a single giant adversary, but, but a, whole, a whole army of them. At least that's what it felt like. And at the beginning, I could not see anything but the size, the scope, and the killing power of the enemy. And I, and I had to embrace one fact, that I would do what I could do, but in the end, it was going to have to be a God thing. I, I couldn't morph myself into being a surgeon or a doctor. I had to be who I was, a, a husband who could support we were a family who could love. We did what we could. We brought her to doctor's appointments. That's what God would expect of us. That's what he wanted us to do. But we would have to take our puny efforts and bring, the, bring that against the giant. He would have to show himself, though. God would. Bigger than the giant. We knew that was the case. And he did. Oh, he did. David approached the Philistine and he said this. He said, this very day, I give you the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Not cocky. He was just confident because he knew God was huge and was on his side. Goliath, not just you, the big problem, but all the little problems associated with you that stand right behind you. David had to focus on a big God with big power. If you focus on the giant problem, you'll become paralyzed with fear, as did the entire army, as well as Saul. David's focus was on the, so the size of his God, not the size of his adversary. The Apostle Paul wrote to a group of believers being really hard-pressed on every side by, by, by giant trials, and he wrote this. He said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What's Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying, I'm praying that your spiritual eyes would be opened to come to know the hope and know the power that is available as you face the giants in your life. Are you still facing giants in your life, in your own strength, trying to muster the courage to stand when every fiber in your heart and your mind says, just fall, just fall, stop. 
Are you still facing giants in your own strength, focusing on the size of the giant instead of the size of our God? And you still are you still listening to the, the voices that sap you of courage that you're going to need to face them? Are you finally ready to listen to the one voice that speaks courage and trust in almighty, big, powerful God? What giants are you facing today? What titanic battles are you in? Are you facing something overwhelming? Are you facing something bigger than you? Is it your health? Is it, is it an addiction? Perhaps it's a relationship or even a, even a daunting financial issue. Can I tell you what you will need in order to stand? Courage. Perhaps as we often do, uh, you may know what you have to do. If that's not the, the question. That's not, your question to me is not, Pastor Tim, what do I need to do? You know what you're supposed to do. But to face this giant head on, it just seems to be an impossible task. Why? Because you're afraid. You know what you need? You need courage. Because you will never be able to face these giants. You will never be able to do the right thing without it. Jesus Christ, though sweating great drops of blood as he was about to face the greatest challenge, the greatest giant in history, courageously stood tall. May you hear God's voice. May you let God's truth guide you. Surrender completely to God and know that he will be strong in your weakness. And Father, we need, we need courage. There's some listening right now. The question is not, what should I do? The question is, uh, how could I possibly do this? So God, I pray that you right now, as I pray, that you would uh, raise them up, that you would strengthen them, oh God, that they would hear very clearly the one voice, the one voice that desires to bring glory to Almighty God, the one voice that shines the light on Jesus Christ, the one voice who always leads us in the path of righteousness, the one voice that we need to hear in order to be the people who can stand and not fall, no matter what the danger, no matter what the consequences. Almighty God, I pray for courage for myself and for all who listen. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.